Good afternoon and welcome back to the Conservatarian Exchange on the Liberty Block, hosted today by Ed Ed, myself, Steve, and someone very special who we hope will be joining our team regularly. Her name is Megan, and I'm going to ask her to tell us a little bit about herself. Welcome. Thank you for having me. My name is Megan McCarty. I'm originally from New Jersey. Um, I live out um, on Long Island right now with my husband and two small children. And I've just always um, been engaged in current events, politics, and the like. So I'm looking forward to joining this podcast and to hearing everybody's thoughts and ideas on current current events and politics. And Megan, I believe you are very involved in Long Island politics. Yes, that is correct. Okay, so you work with local candidates and stuff. Yes, that that is correct. I myself have been one as well. Okay, so you're personally responsible for saving Long Island for the Republicans, right? Yes, it was it was all me. I'm going to break my hand right now. No, it, no, I'm I'm definitely not going to take credit for that. That actually that credit goes to uh, Chairman Joe Cairo and to Chairman Jesse Garcia, and also in Huntington at least. Um, Chairman McNally. So we're really blessed with terrific leadership. And, you know, I think it comes from the top on down. Okay. So even though I live very close to Long Island, like literally right over the Cross Island <laughs> Expressway, we tend to forget Long Island and any tiny bright spot that may be there because New York City itself is such a hopeless place. So you can always chime in and tell us that at least there's hope to the east of us. So. Hey, I think you gained another council seat, didn't you, this year in the Bronx of all places? That's that's a little exciting for me, at least. You know, it's funny because Dan Bongino has this theory, which I don't totally agree with. But he says, you have to wait until it's bad enough and it's not bad enough yet. And when it's bad enough yet, people will change how they vote. So I guess the Bronx speaks to that. I don't think it's a great way to live because no one wants to see the whole world go under before something changes. And frankly, I don't see much in New York State ever changing. But I think his theory is flawed anyway. I think that the worse things get, the more people cling to their most foundational beliefs. And it's the it's their foundational beliefs that have gotten them in trouble in the first place. So I think the worse things get, the worse they're going to get. Ooh. I don't even know if I want to go to uh, Jewish things right now, but that may or may not be contradicted by the supposed Jews moving slightly off the left. I've seen that actually for some time now, at least on Long Island. Um, we have noticed a great deal of the Jewish community actually voting to the right. And I think it has a lot to do with an, an awakening with the way that um, the anti-Semitism is being handled by the left with the elected officials on the left who are full on anti-Semites. We don't have any of that in the Republican party. Um, you know, at least that I'm aware of elected official wise. So I think that there has been a little bit of an awakening and if not more so now. Do you think it's a systemic shift or do you think it's just a, an issue of self-preservation? Cause I think it's more of a self-preservation, you know, they're coming after me. I better protect myself. But as soon as it calms down, I think they'll go right back to the left. Well, well, here is what I've noticed when it comes to um, Jewish people who immigrated here and they're the, you know, 
they're the immigrants or first generation Americans. You know, it's not so far back that, especially in uh, Iran slash Persia, they remember what they had to go through and they see it happening. They're very much so aware and they were silent. I don't think they even voted Democrat. I don't think they even really voted until, you know, you make inroads into the community, which our, our chairman, Joe Cairo in Nassau County, made a huge effort to do so and to reach out to the Jewish community. We have a Jewish county executive. So, you know, there's a big awakening in Nassau County, a big boom, I think, at least for the immigrants and the first generations, not so much those who have been in this country for a long time. I haven't really noticed much of a swing from that group. I don't know. I mean, I just think about in my own personal life when when the going gets really rough, I'm not sitting there, you know, doing philosophical, you know, I'm not philosophizing. I'm, you know, going back to my most core beliefs, the things that just come almost self-evidently to me. And I think that's how most, I think that's how most people are, but you know, I, I, I hope that you guys are, I hope that Bongino's right. I hope that you guys, I hope, hope that you're right. Well, I, I think um, there's no question that a lot of the Jews on the far left are reeling and rethinking both here and in Israel. It's funny to watch Israeli leftists. Well, first of all, mm -hmm. several of the people who were killed on that first day were major, major peaceniks and leftists who absolutely love the Palestinians. The question is, will the change last like you asked, Ed? And will that ever make them vote for a Republican? So I believe there's a lot of leftist Jews who may be 100% disillusioned with the left, but they'll still never vote for a Republican. At best, they'll stay home. That that just sort of corroborates what I was saying, that it's more of a self-preservation thing rather than a systemic shift. You know, they see a danger to themselves. They're going to avoid the danger. But as soon as the danger passes, they're still who they were, who they were before. No, but, they but they won't vote it. left. They won't vote left anymore. I just think that the Republican brand among leftist Jews, it's, it's so visceral that it, it, to them it would be like voting for Hitler. So we'll see because I'm in touch with lots of them and we'll see what happens. Of course, I'm not convinced anybody tells the truth about how they voted anyway, but that's another story. And in New York, you know, obviously in national elections, it won't matter. So let's leave the Jews aside for the moment. Um, is the most pressing story the fact that the government's not shutting down this week? Let me make a, give you a big yawn. Oh, I think that's that's a tragedy. The more they shut down, the better we are. I'm just I'm, I'm I work for the government, so oh, you work <laughs> being a little silly. <laughs> okay, I yeah, I mean, I think nobody is shocked. Are any of you guys following it enough to know what this laddered agreement and is there anything better about it than what we would have given them before? <laughs> I'm following it. I, I guess mean, we did for homework. The goal just, is to pass some of the, you know, actual appropriations bills for the for the part that gets left to February. I just don't know which part that is. Uh, do you know which parts are, are January and which parts are February? Do not. And I don't think I don't see what's going to be different in January or February unless they know something's coming and they're trying to you know, wait until it happens before they move move forward with the rest of their plans. Right, because this bill just continues everything as is, right? 
Although I'm not it's a sure. continuing resolution, yes. Even including things like Ukraine? I think Ukraine was supplemental, so um, no. So it's a slight change. No. A supplemental bill is passed above and beyond the budget. Uh, it, it, this just continues the funding from last year's appropriations bills into the next Right, so have they or haven't they funded Ukraine as of today or yesterday? As I understand it, no. Okay, I know know that he keeps asking for more Biden, but it seems like I'm not following Ukraine as closely, but it seems like they're losing some support and especially falling to the further pages of the newspapers right now, which probably isn't good if you're Ukrainian. I don't think Zelensky is happy now. Because, well, the NPCs have decided that it's the either the Israelis or the Gazans that they should be worried about, and uh, um, not the Ukrainians or the Russians. So that has fallen out of the consciousness of most people. Okay, I mean, he should be getting a kick out of Putin telling Israel not to kill civilians, right? Yeah, yeah. I can, oh my God, that's so funny. You, you got to admit the word chutzpah just keeps. <laughs> yeah. but. I, I don't know how you I don't know how you execute a war in a highly urban area without um, uh, civilians dying in the process. I just, you know, I guess I guess they want them to not not prosecute the war at all. You know, I mean, well, that's, that's what they want. I, I don't know if you caught the big in the key story and their retraction. They put out a story, something to the effect about Israel killing Arab doctors. And then they're like, whoops, they weren't killing Arab doctors. They actually brought in Arabic speaking Israeli doctors to take care of everybody. Whoops. I mean, Israel's like bringing incubators to the hospital, offering to take the patients. But the world's still. Yeah, they're doing the best they can under, and they're doing more than is required under the Geneva Convention. But it, nothing's ever going to be. Um, enough because i don't think it's really about this you know i i don't know what it's about because as someone pointed out you know hundreds of thousands of babies died in the syrian civil war a hundred thousand people and probably lots of babies died in the yemeni civil war um you know that there's uh there's open-air slave markets in libya there's Lots of people dying in the wars in Sudan, the civil war in Sudan. I mean, there's there's lots of people dying everywhere. So why are these people marching um, in in you know in their hundreds of thousands in some places in in Europe um, in you know in solidarity with the Palestinians who are dying? I mean, I guess they I, hate just the Jews. Well, I mean, I think they hate the Westerners. I, I, you know, I think they hate any anybody who is uh, considered. I think it's the oppressed oppressor dynamic, and I think they hate the uh, you know oppressors, which in this case they identify the Israelis as the oppressors. Um, Am I well, in the United States? I... In for a minute. Sure. Yes, fearless leader. First, thank you, because I have to leave in two seconds for a meeting, so I'm going to talk quickly. As opposed to. Yeah. Number one, do we have all of our new great guests here? We what? have Megan. Can you see Megan? Please welcome Megan. Megan, I see now. 
I assume she's the one with long hair, and Ed is the one with not long hair. Yeah, yeah, that's the one with hair. So I must admit, hi, pleasure to meet you. Great, thank to you see so you. much for coming on. Alu is our fearless leader. So, um, speaking of fearless, did you hear about the fight that might happen between one of the biggest union bosses of the Teamsters and a senator who was a pro MMA yes. fighter? <laughs> yeah, that's funny as hell. So, um, <laughs> apparently, this guy, uh, Mark Wayne, what was his last name? A Mullen. I didn't realize he was a U.S. senator from Oklahoma just in 2023. He had like three fights the most quickly. He's three and zero by by uh, finishing his opponents, and um, this Teamster guys got into it with him in the last few few uh, Senate hearings. And then this guy this guy called him out and said he's like a nothing and he's a, a sissy and afraid of whatever and he thinks he's a tough cowboy. He said I'll 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 meet you anytime anywhere. Let's do it. And so this guy stood up and said, "Get your butt off of your chair and let's do it." And Bernie Sanders, who's the chair of the committee, I guess, is like, "Please, hello, we need some decorum. This is a Senate hearing. Thank you." No, we are not going to do this right now. I'm Bernie Sanders. So that was interesting. But the guy said he wants to fight him. So he said, let's do it right here. If we can send, we can fight. And then um, there was a tweet, I think, happened recently, I think in the last day or so, saying uh, from Mullen to the guy saying, I take you up on your offer. Let's fight. I'll give you three days to answer. We'll fight for charity. I'll donate like $30,000 to whatever charity if, if you win and vice versa. And um, let's do it. Let's just fight in like a few months. Um, the guy hasn't answered, I don't think. And I don't think he will because this guy's a pro May fighter. The other guy's a big fat schlub. Um, but very interesting. Now, I'm going to take credit for this as I take credit for everything because we're ahead of the curve and we say things years before everyone else. I wrote in my book, Taxation is Theft, and prior to that in an article a few years ago, like 2020 or 2018, that one of the many ways that the governments can raise revenue without taxation, which is theft, which is extortion by force, they can raise revenue by a lot of different ways. They can raise billions for the full budget and abolish taxation. One of the many ways I referenced in my book is exactly that, fighting for charity. Two politicians who hate each other or WWE style pretend to hate each other when the cameras are on, they can fight and whoever loses donates to it to charity or in this case, a government program type of thing voluntarily. Everyone wins. If you really hate, hate everyone, you know, Trump and Biden would sell a billion dollars worth of pay-per-view tickets, do that a few times a year with politicians, and you can make up your whole state or federal budget. So that's one way. In fact, I actually asked a legislator who I didn't hate. I loved him. He was a libertarian. Uh, one of the libertarian LP state reps in New Hampshire, he was a boxer in the past. And I said, let's box for charity. Whoever wins or you know, whoever loses will donate some money to the state fund for education or something. And um, it didn't work out. But that's something that I think they should be done by politicians a lot more. Thoughts? Didn't Biden actually say he was going to punch Trump out at some point? <laughs> he did. Just like, Come on, um, man. Just and, like, what's who is the, 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 Fictitious dude that uh, Biden was supposed to have uh, corn pop. fought when he was a youngster. Corn pop, yes, right. Now I forget. Yeah, what's yeah. The, I don't watch a lot of fighting, but what's the fight that warms up to the fight called? Prelims. The undercard. The undercard. Thank you. That yeah. was the word I'm looking for. That'll be McCarthy against the guy he uh, poked with the elbow, right? Yeah. So we got we got back, yeah, back before the Civil War. There were actually were like fist fights and like duels. Beating. There were duels. Beating. Alex Victor Hamilton duels. and Burr. I mean, yeah. So I think we should go back to that. We're going, you know, I know, I know. Hamilton probably is not the uh, <laughs> right. The right. One I, I wanted to die. Sorry, thank you. I'll looking forward to listening later. Thanks, guys.
Take care, Ali. I think Alu's idea really says now that we have TV, Netflix, and streaming, we should capitalize on the fights. So, absolutely. I wondered what he, Thank how he was going to tie all that into Israel, Gaza, and Ukraine. Um, he must. Well, we just have the head of Netanyahu and the head of and Nasrallah, you know, in the octagon for all the marbles. <laughs> If uh, if Netanyahu wins, then uh, Israel gets to rule Gaza, and if uh, and if um, Nasrallah wins, then the the blockade uh, uh, on Gaza um, gets opened. So how's that? I solved that problem easy. Well, he has to fight him and Sinwar, and I guess if he beats them all, he has to fight what's his name, Raisi, in Tehran. Okay. On the, the, oh yeah, let's on the Middle East subject. Which one? Can we have like the Pope versus the Ayatollah in in a in a cage match for for uh, you know. just give in? <laughs> I know. <laughs> are you the guys pretty old? Are you guys following the uh, Candace Owens business? What's going on? I am. Now I am I'm not it. a super fan of her when she first hit the. Uh, Spotlight, I thought she was awesome. Her yeah. stupid comment about Muslim Quarter a week ago really blew my mind. But Ed P, tell me what, what you think about her and then what you think is this hurting her? Well, I mean, she said some things uh, critical of uh, the Israeli, uh, war, you know, the Israeli offensive into Gaza. Um, I don't think they were completely off the charts crazy. I, I just, I don't think necessarily um, that uh, that they were anything that an American first person would disagree with. I think she was, uh, you know, going on about how uh, anti-white hatred uh, is taught in all our schools and, um, and we say nothing about that. Um, but as soon as, um, you know, something happens to Israel, the entire, you know, the entire government pivots to help Israel and, you know, that we should probably spend more time fixing our own country than it is uh, sort of slavishly attaching ourselves to another country, something like, something like that. And, and there, and she's not wrong. Uh, I, and I think what happened was that um, Ben Shapiro, when asked about her comments, uh, went off, on her and and said that her comments now whether it was the one i talked about about you know america has all these problems we should worry about ourselves rather than you know israel or whether it was some other comments that i haven't heard but but he called her disgusting and her comments disgusting it's and then they got into it. on the main issue i probably lean more towards what she said than what he said as an american firster and for sure like a libertarian american but she made such a fool of herself when she said the fact that there's a Muslim quarter in Jerusalem proves that Israel's an apartheid state segregating the Muslims. And someone said, no, there's a Muslim quarter, there's an Armenian quarter, there's a Jewish quarter. It doesn't mean anything to do with what you think. And then I also heard her make some kind of comment about talking to the Israeli president. And I wanted to remind her the Israeli president is a figurehead. So I don't necessarily disagree with what she said as much as if you're going to talk about something, get a clue what you're talking about well i mean i think you know in her defense i again i'm not i'm here as a third party observer it, it does appear to me 
that because of the terrorism out of the West Bank, it does appear that um, the Israelis have put uh, checkpoints up in the West, in, in the West Bank between Muslim areas and other Muslim areas, so that there's not a hundred percent free movement between the Muslim areas. And then there are there is a big wall around the West Bank, uh, and I think we should hire uh, the Israelis to do our wall because it's a really good wall. But there are Israeli settlements you know, on the other side of the wall. And it's to protect these settlements that all these sort of security checkpoints have been established inside of the West Bank area. This is my understanding. And if I'm wrong, I apologize. But the, the, I think the criticism is, I think what she was, what the criticism, the apartheid criticism is not so much in Israel itself, where, Arab Israelis and Jewish Israelis live side by side, including in Jerusalem. Um, but this kind of checkpoint, Arab area, Israeli settlement, Arab area, Israeli settlement, um, checkerboard that uh, the Israeli government has established on the other side of the wall in uh, the West Bank. And I think that is kind of what people are comparing to apartheid. Now, if I'm totally wrong on this, please let me know. So she she misspoke, obviously, but I think that's the criticism that I've heard. No, so I, I think don't disagree with what she said. I just think she, by saying something that was so ignorant about the Muslim quarter of Jerusalem, she just stuck her foot yeah, in her yeah. mouth, and then you lose credibility. Right. Go ahead. I, I, yeah, I, I find it appalling as well, because look at the people who suffer, suffered underneath apartheid in South Africa. It's not the same as the groups in Israel, why were those walls put up in the first place? Why are there checkpoints? Can anyone answer me that? Well, we know why there's checkpoints because every time they loosen up on the checkpoints, somebody comes in and hurts somebody. It's kind of like they want a ceasefire now with Hamas, forgetting that October 6th, there was a ceasefire. It, so I mean, ceasefires it's don't, don't do much. And it, it's a huge slap into the in the face of people who did live underneath apartheid, in who are African people, uh, you know, I don't, black people, I guess it is the best way to describe them down in South Africa, and that that was apartheid, and it was appalling. And to compare that to what is happening in Israel, which I'm sure the Israelis would love to have everybody move freely back and forth. In fact, I have seen that my whole entire life. They want so badly to live in peace and harmony. But they have to put up the walls because if they don't, they're going to get killed. So it's it's a say she misspoke, say she's ignorant, whatever. I find those comments appalling. It's also interesting that apartheid originally was a white black thing, as I understand it. And I haven't lived in Israel in quite a while, but just watching the videos and seeing the newspaper stories, the pictures, the Ethiopians are unbelievably integrated into that country. When you see the pictures of soldiers together, they're all together. When you see spokespeople, they're all together. So it's, to call Israel racist and all that other stuff is absolutely ridiculous. I'm not sure. I don't follow Ben Shapiro. I have a little trouble with his ego. Um, it's just a personal thing. Well, he he called her out. He's her boss. Right. The Daily Wire has the Daily Wire has a. Well, one of our bosses, there's three people who run the Daily Wire. The right. Daily Wire has an explicit policy that people can say, that their hosts can say 
whatever they want. But they got very heated on uh, on Twitter. I'm not sure today, that he's smart. I'm not sure he's smart to put Israel first. I don't know. That no, I think he's. I, I yeah, I I think he's behaved in the last month as an Israel firster, and I don't think that is winning him any friends in the United States as hey, much right, as Americans, is, you know, make a Yiddish daily wire. And then it's explicitly yeah. a Jewish thing, an Israeli thing. And I have no problem. I probably agree with what he says, but as an American, I, I'm not sure if he doesn't take it a little bit too far. So that's his brand. Right. Yeah. His brand was American conservatism, not just being totally pro-Israel. Right. No, but he always just took it to, you know, the furthest level that he possibly could. It's, you know, that that's all of them. That's their job. They're supposed to be engaging. They're supposed to be entertaining. So that's what they do. Yeah. I don't but know. Yeah. I mean, the person who's embarrassing themselves with their Israel firsterness um, more than Ben Shapiro, which at least you understand, Orthodox Jew has a lot of relatives, just like you, Steve, out there, and he very much cares for Israel. It's, it's Nikki Haley. I mean, Nikki Haley has gone completely off the deep end um, with her overwhelming praise and and desire to do whatever Israel wants, whenever Israel wants it, you know, to pledge the United States to do anything. And I, I, I find this, I mean, I, I certainly am, am not, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly pro-Israel and anti-Hamas, but that, that, it's just, it's ick. You know, it's just, there's a little bit of ick when, uh, an American politician stands up there and pledges themselves um, to another country. It's it's icky. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. Is she just like a female Lindsey Graham? Is she the same with Ukraine, et cetera? Yeah, well, they're they're the same because they both like boys. But um, no. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. You no, I'm me. I'm sorry. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think, um, you know, she is of the John McCain, Lindsey Graham wing of the Republican Party, you know. It's like, hey, America war, let's go join it. Yeah, yeah I mean, but- she governed in, she was governor of South Carolina. She governed like a Democrat. But you also have to look at a lot of where the donations come from as well. I know in New York, we have a lot of people who are Jewish who donate. So perhaps that has you know, to do with the revenue stream for Ben Shapiro. Perhaps it has to do with her soliciting donations, both from Jewish people in Israel now and people in the United States who are Jewish. So I always look at the bottom line. I always try to look at, okay, who's donating? Who's giving them money? Where And that usually is the, the end of the line. That's usually what you find out, where their stances are, where their positions are, is who's giving them money. I don't know. Does that? Explain yeah, I mean that's the, Ukraine. That's the, well, that's the Rashida Tlaib. You know, uh, it's all about the Benjamins, baby, kind of thing. And I, I don't think that's wrong, to be honest. I think a lot. Uh, I think there is. We talked about this last week. Uh, you know, there is a lot of money from uh, Jewish people in the political system, especially uh, billionaires. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I it, that may be okay. I mean, it might be the answer. I don't think it is. I think all of the Republican candidates. Uh, DeSantis, Scott, um, Trump. Uh, Scott's no they more. Have all, yeah, Scott's out now. But I mean, they've all expressed support for Israel, um, which is, you know, again, which is fine. But um, yeah. it, it's Haley's 
just over the top slavishness that really that it, it's just ick in my view. Just right, but I don't. It's like you know, I, all my relatives are. Ink. I see her more. All my relatives are military industrial English. And, you know, <laughs> what's that? I see her more pro military industrial complex. Let's keep <laughs> fighting wars more than pro Israel, pro Ukraine. That that's she's just more right. of a war hawk. Yeah. I mean, I don't think she. Yes, she wouldn't want to fight. That's what I'm saying. So, I mean, she is definitely a war hawk, and before October seventh, that was her primary thing. And in fact, it was pointed out by uh, Ramaswamy in the previous debate that at her, uh, you know, she was broke when she left the governor's office, and and now she's on the boards and very lucrative uh, of some of these defense corporations. Mm. So. Yeah, well, I have to give him the credit. He tends to say say things pretty straight. Hmm. I mean, he went after some reporter the other day, maybe yesterday. He does tend to say it straight, and that's kind of what endeared Trump to people at one point, that he doesn't pull punches. I think it was Chris Cuomo right. that went after. Right, there you go. Yeah, and Ramaswamy let him have it, right? Yep. So that that's actually a good thing, but... Yeah, I don't. I mean, Nikki Haley is probably not the pulse of the Republican Party right now. What do you think, you guys? I'll leave. I think the Republican Party's dead. I, doesn't have a pulse. <laughs> I don't know. There you there. I stay out of primaries. It's just such a mess, and it's ugly. And I don't like fighting my own people. I want everyone to get along, and we're stronger together. You know, kumbaya. I I don't I don't get involved in any of this stuff. Okay, Megan, I'm not asking you. I'm not asking you to um, give a preference. I'm asking you to predict right now uh, who is going to be the Republican nominee. That's a different thing than saying I'm in favor of this person. That's just I think this is going to happen because Ed thinks DeSantis um, has a chance, and and while I like DeSantis, I don't think he has a chance, and. Trump, unfortunately, for Long Island, I think it's going to be Trump. I think you're probably right. It's, but oh. I mean, but again, We're, is Healy representing the quote-unquote Republican Party, or is the Republican Party becoming less war hawkish, or we just don't know? Yeah, I don't. I I don't really feel like getting into wars. I don't want my son to go off to war. Um, I don't know. I I just don't see it as. It's so dangerous. These weapons that people have, that countries have nowadays, it, it's unimaginable the damage that could be done. And if you want to talk about climate change and you want to talk about the environment, I mean, those will just totally change everything. I, I, I just, I, we should be trying to keep things to a minimum. We shouldn't be putting gasoline on a fire. And I think that most Republicans feel the same way. We do not want to go to war. Which is a shift from the Reagan weird thing is, right? No, I don't think. I think Reagan was very much a peace candidate. I, I think the, I, I think the United States uh, once once you if if we're attacked, they once you go in, crush the enemy and leave. And I think we almost did that in Af Afghanistan in a couple of months. We went in, we almost crushed the enemy. Again, Bush allowed them to escape, but ignore yeah. that for a moment. But suppose we had and then left. Uh, yeah. I think I think everyone would be relatively happy with that. It was the we've got to go in and and uh, and, and right, even like go in and, and 
go go in and crush the uh, Iraqi government. Now, I don't think that was a good idea, but you know, do that and and get out. But it was these these forever wars that we never win that I think everybody is fed up with anymore. I'm and tired. especially the the military is, you know. Well, they're, win they're, and stop, and and you know they're trying to decide if they want drag queens to go in full drag into Afghanistan, right? Para paratrooper them in. That's yeah. the new- <laughs> uh, I personally, I'm in favor of making an entire battalion of of um, non-binary trans people and then dropping them into uh, the next conflict. All uh, let them train together and do, and then you know parachute them in. Well, yeah, I, I, I think I think the U.S. military is is I think all of that stuff is just ignored by real soldiers. Yeah. It, no, and, absolutely. By most people. And they and they go through the training with like tongue in their cheek. Mm-hmm. Um but it is demoralizing, to be honest. There is a there is a demoralization because it takes away from what you ought to be doing. And uh what you ought to be doing is is training, real training, not you know, sexual differences awareness training but like training said, kill things break things and kill people right yeah. so it's 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 demoralizing but it it's not as bad because like i mean it's the democrats using the military budget for their social programs exactly that's what that's- it is if you're a if you're a 20 year old or 18 year old um confused person and you know you don't have a job and you want to uh, get a gender affirmation care, uh, what what are you going to do? I mean, there's it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. So what you do is like, I'll join the military. They'll just do it for me. And I, I think it's just, it's just welfare for um, the military is being used as a welfare program for the sexually confused. But I don't, I, I don't think the presence of these people in the military um necessarily is is causing problems because everybody knows just to ignore them but it is like the guy in in the dog mask the the colonel in the dog mask with the leash to some other soldier that really does destroy morale that that kind of thing like that the public expressions of sexuality like that of perverted sexuality really hurts morale more so than the fact that you know, some confused 18 year old comes in and, and uses the military to, you know, get her breast removed. Um, I, can't you I, get the I, same I, treatment in prison and then, you know, you don't even have to put your life at risk? Yeah, but prison's a bitch. Uh, Army's no fun either. Mm. I want to get back to your well, they, question, though, Steve, which is, is Nikki Haley the, the voice of the Republican Party today? And I think that Nikki Haley and Chris Christie have the have the tone of the Republican Party today or the Republican electorate today, but I don't think they have the policies of the Republican electorate today. The stridency that they both come across with is exactly what Republican voters want, but I don't think that Republican voters want endless wars. I don't think they want uh, to, to, to protect other countries' borders before ours. Um, and so I think their stridency sort of masks that they they're not really what the Republican electorate where the Republican electorate is today, but 
people are so focused on the tone and are so excited by the tone of, of a Republican speaking up and being strident that I think that's what that's what's confusing people. And I think that's really at the core of your your question. Mm-hmm. Well, it answers part of my question, which is. Interesting. So I, I mean, I, I've always said that there's like. There's, a, you know, you do the red pill analogy from The Matrix, you know, you take the red pill and you see the truth. I always said that, you know, there are different layers of, of truth and the more red pills you take. I mean, the, the most obvious red pill, which I thought everybody had taken, I thought everyone in the whole country until COVID came I, uh, had taken it. And that is that companies lie. But, um, you know, as soon as, uh, you know, corporations lie. I, I thought everybody had taken it until everybody's trusting, you know, taking the Paxlovid and the um, Remdesivir and the shots and everything. I, I thought everybody knew the companies lie. But then, you know, they get the next red pill and that, you know, the government lies. I think a bunch of people has that. And the next red pill, the media lies. And then you go on from there. And I think that there is a there is an educational purpose to something like Vivek's campaign because he is pushing these red pills. And I think Trump's campaign in 2016 did it as well. It's like, you know, the media lies. And um, I think Vivek is trying, is trying to educate people on this. I, I, I think we need someone to be in the media's faces because they are so completely and utterly unfair. And, Mm -hmm. and, uh, they're not. I mean, they're not even news organizations anymore. They're just propaganda right. outlets for the regime. Right. I think Vivek is part of that, and that's the tone is what is what people want to hear. And I think of all the people that are remaining, the the five that are left, DeSantis is the only one that doesn't really have that tone. And I think that's part of that's that's the the biggest reason why I think he's not resonating more than I think he is. I mean, I still think he's going to win in Iowa and New Hampshire, and that's going to change the race, but. Uh, to the extent that I have criticisms of him, and I have plenty of criticisms of him, I think his tone is not appropriate for what Republican voters want today. No fight, no fight in his voice. Yeah, I mean, his emails sound like he wants to fight, but when you listen to him, he's got that Megan, you know, I just want us all to get along kind of, you know, I'm going to be the the one who unites us, you know, the, like how Bush was the great uniter, supposedly. And I don't think that's what the Republican electorate wants. And to the extent that there's resistance to him, I think that's the biggest source of the resistance. Right. And I, when I say that, I, I mean, like, I want us all to get together to fight for the issues. I'm not saying like, oh, well, like, let's get along with people who, who are destroying our country. Absolutely not. Let's all unite and be a force instead of fighting each other and, you know, getting the speaker ousted or anything. We should be bound together, united as one to go against these people who are, you know, for mandates, who are for anti-Semitism, who are racist, who who do all these terrible things to bring down our country, who the inflation's out of control. Why don't we unite to fight that instead of just, you know, well, this Nikki Haley said this, and then this one, Vivek is not that, like, we should be uniting. We shouldn't you know, after the primary's done and everything, we should unite and go after the bad guys. And I do call them bad guys. I mean, the Repu- Trump does rule a lot of the Republican Party, and Trump has never been about uniting the Republican Party. He's always been about being a disruptor and, you know, knocking things off the table and being a bull in a china shop. 
there's an element of that that we need, but I think that you're you're correct, Megan. I think that we do need somebody who who can show greater leadership. Uh, I don't know that he has it. I mean, I think DeSantis goes too far in the other direction. I think we need somebody who's willing to to be strident, and I think that's why Vivek is still there. I think that's why Nikki Haley is still there. Although I think that I think that her using the word scum on TV was a pretty bad thing. Um, and I think that's why Chris Christie is still there. I mean, Chris Christie, he is an appalling politician to me. I, I hated him when I was in New Jersey. I campaigned against him, but he has he has two things. He 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 manages to both be very strident and at the same time very calm and in control. I mean, I don't agree with his with his positions on most things, but when I listen to him, when you just listen to him, he sounds like he is an authority figure and he is in charge and mm-hmm. nobody is going to, you know, you know, that I, I could feel comfortable with him being my leader. If only he agreed with me. Mm-hmm. I think DeSantis has, huh? Isn't he the definition of pugnacious? Yes. yes. The definition of pug. pugnacious. Yeah. I think, you know, I think Christie has a lot of um, of rhetorical and you know communicative skills. Um, I do, um, you know, I know he doesn't like Trump, and that, and he's spending a lot of time, you know, talking about, uh, you know, uh, pushing back against Trump with his pugnaciousness. Um, I just don't understand exactly what his positive agenda is mm-hmm. I, you know the 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 debt a republican and the he doesn't have so, a positive agenda I, I, the debt and the deficit are are so completely and utterly out of control now um with with trillion dollar interest payments trillion dollar deficits um it's it's it, if you look at the curve it's going exponential and so we could like predict when the country is going to fall over um and it's you know it's it's in this decade right it's the country is going to end in this decade unless something is done about the spending crisis and and so while we get at least vivek is trying to address it it's unserious proposals like we're going to you know fire every bureaucrat whose uh, every other security number is 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 even or something like that right um but I mean, there really, there really have to be hard choices made, um, and and we can't even we can't even not throw money at foreign wars. Y- you know what I mean? And and the Republicans came up. I, I don't know whether this is true or not, but the Republicans said that this, this Biden illegal immigration catastrophe is going to cost us about half a trillion dollars in the next ten years, and I think that's probably right. Um, and, and, and I, what are you going to do? Right. I mean, I, he should, they should stop it. They should send everybody home. Um, and I, you know, at least Trump is saying something like that, that they're going to, you know, we're going to stop it and send everybody home. Aren't they voluntarily, um, but, you know, there's, they, they hate it here and their Catholic charities is paying for their plane tickets back to Venezuela. <laughs> That's what well, I these religious charities disappointed they, and they're leaving. They got fifteen thousand. Well, 
and they spent it all. And now they reached out to a Catholic charities to get a plane ticket to go back home because they didn't get a free house. They didn't get a free car. They didn't get more than $15,000. They're like this. I heard yeah, I mean, they also were in Chicago and didn't like the, the climate or the, the atmosphere. I mean, come on. Well, they went to Ebbets here in New York and they're unhappy with the accommodations and they turned around. But look, that's what a lot of people said is just stop giving them so many things and they'll leave on their own. Uh, You know, I don't know. It's just unbelievable. I I, I mean, a lot of the charities are the cause of the problem. They are all very much pro-immigration. They they support these NGOs that go uh, down to South America or Africa or whatever and, and spin these stories about a life of luxury and the land of milk and honey. And they, the, and they, again, I was saying Lauren did this uh, documentary called Borderless, where she actually went into some of these, um, you know, camps before they came to the United States or before they came to Europe and interviewed these people. And they had these such crazy ideas of what mm-hmm. They're going to. I mean, they thought it was going to be great, and it ends up being in a, you know, banlieue in Paris, outside of Paris, where everybody is uh, completely broke ass, living on a pittance of French, um, you know, dole, and it's entirely controlled by the crazy mullahs or the crazy uh, religious leaders or the or the crazy terrorists that they wanted to escape from back in Mali or in, in, uh, in Niger or something like that, and, or in Venezuela or in Honduras or whatnot. And so I, they're sold these stories by these religious NGOs who I think want migration for the sake of migration. And, and when they find out it's not true, um, yeah, we should, we should offer everybody a trip back because it's, it's you know, they're, they're sleeping on, they're sleeping on mats at O'Hare Airport. A friend of it's mine a, was over at O'Hare. It, it is inhumane. It's an inhumane to tell these lies about what they're going to be get when they come getting when they come to America and then the reality of what they get. What the Biden administration is doing is inhumane. They shouldn't be yeah. telling these lies. Um, they should be telling the truth. And I guarantee you that would cut down on the immigration problem. They don't tell us, they don't tell us the truth. Why would you think they'll tell them the truth? They well, lied to everybody. But I, I have a funny little anecdote. And then I actually, you know, before I got invited on here, I promised my girlfriends I'd have dinner tonight. So I'm going to scoot. Um, but so the North Shore leader, which actually exposed George Santos as a fraud, um, had this story from, from very credible sto- uh, sources about a bus that went into Port Washington, dropped off um, immigrants there, and... Um, I got to tell you, so Port Washington, New York, it's limousine, liberal, central. The amount of, oh my, it, it was like a violent reaction just to this little paper reporting the story that it, and it did actually happen. Um, they've confirmed that it actually happened. Um, it was such a violent reaction. The phone calls that the editor was getting, the phone calls that the owner was getting, the emails. It was like, how dare you report that it, bus of illegal immigrants got dropped off in Port Washington. It never happened. For some reason, they they want to deny that it's even happening. They're, they're, 
that is so far in the stand that they're calling up reporters saying, take this down. They're demanding that it not even be published in leftist wacko Port Washington, which used to be the best place to live, but it has gone crazy since COVID. Yeah, I don't think their heads are in the sand, but let's we'll we'll get a different metaphor later. I the <laughs> The, the the next thing that Biden had, has done is he's like, oh, well, we'll give them work permits. They can find jobs. OK, who's going to hire them? You know, right. Who, who's going to hire them? It's an information economy. You know, yeah. OK, here in Virginia, a lot of the um, construction trades are Hispanic, um, but they're all legal. Right. You know, they're they're all legal. They're not going to hire them. And by the way, do we even know what percentages are Hispanic anymore? Because we're getting from everywhere. Can't keep track of this. There's no way. In RFK Jr.'s in RFK Jr.'s video when he went down to uh, Texas uh, and looked, it was about half and half. It was about half from non-Latin countries and half from Latin countries. Right, which is a big change from yesteryear, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of Middle Easterners, a lot of Africans. Um, but again, who's, who's going to hire them, right? I mean, it's not like they're computer programmers and scientists and doctors and things sneaking across the board. I mean, if you're, if you're in Nigeria and you're a doctor and you want to come to the United States, you can come. There are ways. You know, they'll do it. If you have special skills. Yeah. yeah like the people, doctors, they, they apply to a medical school here. They get in and then they become successful doctors here in the United States states they wait yeah. they they like that um I, I i don't think there's any real issue if you are a, a highly skilled person there's special categories of visas for highly skilled people from yeah. these other countries and um you know, I, i'm working with a, a historically black college and university uh, morgan state in in um baltimore, baltimore. yes and uh all I'm the sorry. professors are African. All the professors are African. Bye, Megan. I mean, this is a historically black college. It's supposed to help African-Americans and all the professors are African. No, I mean, I, you know, it's like, okay, I, they have dark skin, but they're not like descendants of slaves. They're not like African-Americans. I mean, I guess they're African-Americans technically, because they were from Africa, they came to America, and they now have citizenship, but they're not what we, what most people think of as, as Black Americans. Um, so there, you can definitely get in the country if you need to. I think the real question is, how many potential terrorists have we let in? Oh, probably a lot, but that doesn't mean that potential means actual, you know. I think it means that if they were ever to be activated, they would be here. And that's, to me, scary. Yeah, the weird thing about terrorism in the United States is um, the only real terrorist act that, like, may makes, quote-unquote, any sense to me is the 9-11 attack, right? Um, because they went after, you know, critical parts of the United States. Some guy goes and shoot up, shoots up a gay uh, nightclub. It's horrible um, in, in Florida. 
um, might have been terrorism in the sense that, you know, but then there's all sorts of questions. Um, but like, why, you know, shoot up a bunch of, uh, of concert goers in Las Vegas. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. You know, I, I mean, think the next terrorist attack is going to be something like poisoning the drinking water in a city or something like that. Well, maybe if, I don't know whether I know who that would kill because everybody drinks bottle water around here. But yeah, I, I understand. Um, it, I mean, it's bad even to speculate about uh, terrorist attacks. Um, so I, I will not. I just know, want to so clarify so we it, don't it is, get canceled. It is weird. I want to clarify that the main terrorist threat is white male Christians. Just, you know, we don't want to get canceled here. Indeed. Um, can we switch topics? And because Joe Biden's employer is in town this week um, <laughs> in San Francisco. And uh, yeah. And and he went and Biden went out to meet him. Um, and it turns out that San Francisco, which. At one time was one of the most beautiful, if not the most beautiful city in the United States, had had turned itself into a complete shithole with uh, actual shit on the ground and needles and condoms. And um, uh, it, it was just it, it unlivable. Large sections of it are, are, are uh, unlivable around the, you know, mar around the Market Street e era and the, the, the mall there, which is beautiful. It had a big Nordstrom and it was closing. And, and the Hilton's in, closing. In, was... in fairness, they did have an app to avoid that. So... Yeah. yeah, they did have an app that shows you where the crap was on the ground. But when um, when President Xi of China decides to come to San Francisco, they uh, cleaned it up in like a week and a half. Uh, they got they cleaned the streets, they repainted the streets, they they stationed cops on every corner. Crime, which was completely out of control. Um, especially shoplifting, where there's a law that you can steal like a thousand dollars worth of stuff without being caught, um, apparently vanished. All the crime went away. All the needles went away. All the junkies went away. All the panhandlers went away. All the homeless people got moved out. Nobody knows where. Where the homeless people go? Oh, there are thousands, thousands of homeless. We don't know where they are. I don't know where they are. Maybe they moved them to the old uh, stadium down outside of town. Who knows? In any event. It's a perfectly nice, clean city, and when now uh, and when G came in up uh, from SFO, uh, people lined the streets and cheered, waving communist Chinese flags for him. Did you see the video of that? Everybody cheering yep. with all sorts of uh, Chinese flags mm -hmm. flying, and uh, the streets are clean and everything. And I'm beginning to think, you know, people are saying it's a huge red pill, another red pill for for people like the government can be competent at its job of preventing crime and keeping the streets clean. It chooses not to be competent in doing that. And that's what we have been, that, that is the red pill from um, San Francisco this week. Wait, okay, uh, one comment, one question. I did see a very quick, video where they asked Newsom about this. And he's like, if you think we just cleaned up the city because the Chinese people are coming here, it's because the Chinese people are coming here that we cleaned up the city, which I thought was the most outrageous thing in the world. But what evidence you have, Ed P, that people are going to think of it that way and make that conclusion? 
because I've seen more than one tweet, one of which I showed in the chat um, earlier this week, that people are waking up to this, that the government has chosen to allow San Francisco to become a shithole. That the excuses that they gave, oh, we can't do this because of a court decision, or we can't do that because it breaks the law, or we can't uh, move the homeless because that breaks the law. All of these excuses are lies. And that if they wanted to make San Francisco great again, um, they could do it. If they, and someone posted that, well, how much money is this all costing uh, San Francisco and the state of California? I'm like, no, it's just coming out of the regular, regular budget. Yeah, it's not costing anything extra. And even if it costs, so what? It still proves they could do it. Now I'm going to, uh, what do you call it? Channel Ed M on this one. Is this a great thing for somebody to be running on in a primary? We can't clean up our cities. It's a thousand dollar bills in the middle of the road. There is no Republican Party in San Francisco, though. But I mean, nationally, because that's not the only trashy city that's being, you know, run to. I mean, look, DeSantis is being handed a hanging curveball at 80 miles an hour over the plate in this debate he's going to have with Newsom. And if he doesn't hammer Newsom like, you know, like just a little fat nail, then like he's lost. That's next week. This should be his. Yeah, this should be his. Uh, I think it's the 29th and 30th. Yeah. Um, so yeah, right. But this should be hundred um, percent of DeSantis's thing. I mean, he can, he wants to talk about the COVID, um, stupid COVID policies that Newsom had and the lockdowns and all that. You know, lockdowns for thee, but not for me. Well, it turns out it's uh, clean cities for G and not for thee. Um, and if he doesn't pick this up and run with it, I just don't. I, I, he's gone. He's done. He's history. I like that. That's going to be the quote of the day. Any comments on the uh, Mayorkas impeachment fiasco? Was it a good idea to start it? Was it horrible that they didn't complete it? What do you guys think? I think it's great that they started it. I think it's awful that they couldn't complete it. Even if you can't convict them, you still have to show that you're willing to fight. That's the whole point. That tends to be where I, where I am on this issue and pretty sad that if you can't unite to fight Mayorkas, who talk about a sitting duck, um, when will anybody grow a pair? Well, it goes back to what Megan uh, said earlier. It's like, do we fight? Uh, do we fight primaries or do we just hand the... Uh, do we just hand the primary victory to uh, the next guy? Remember, the Republicans have this habit, which they broke only in 2016. It's the only time they broke it, um, of just electing the next guy in line. You know, McCain, Bush was the next guy in line. McCain was the next guy in line. Dole was the next guy in line. H.W. Uh, Bush was the next guy in line. Um, Reagan came in second in 76, so he's the next guy in line in 80, you know, uh, Ford in 76 was the next guy. Nixon, even though he lost in 60, he was still the next guy in line. It's just the next guy in line is who we um, is who we nominate. 
And again, it's half the reason why I think Trump is going to win is because he's still the next guy in line um, in, uh, in 2024. And I think this happens with the primaries too, in the congressional primaries. It's just, you know, who's, who's the guy, you know, if somebody retires, who's the next guy in line, you know, who's the guy who's been waiting, who's the guy who's been putting the, the energy in and, and whatnot, you know, it's like, it's, it's it's like a business where they just promote the next guy and uh, it doesn't matter what he thinks. Now, occasionally there are, you know, occasionally there are upsets, but very, very seldom. You mean like um, the story of the first lady of New Jersey trying to take the Senate seat? She's running against Menendez. She's not a Republican. No, but I'm saying it's yeah. the same idea that we just, you know, turn it over. Well, the dynasticism. Was it Murkowski you know, the, uh, that way? Yeah, I mean, the, the dynasticism, for instance, between like Adams and Quincy Adams was John Quincy Adams was in a lot of ways the most respected person in the whole country. Then it was it wasn't that he was just John Adams, son. He had built his own life. But the dynasticism that has taken hold with like Bush uh, Jr. or with Hillary being a senator and then running for president or with all the talk about um What's, you know, um, Obama's wife, Michelle, uh, running for president. All of this is, is, you know, late stage Republican decline. Um, and it's, it's, it's just, it's a disaster. You should never, you, you should never descend into sort of elite dynastic um, representation or, or governance because then you might, as well, you might as well just vote in the monarchy. How was that Republican decline when most of those people were Democrats that you described? No, no. Republican, small R Republic. You know, it's, oh. it's, it's the decline of, it's the decline of the Republic. I mean, you know, back in the 1800s, the, the, the usual um, representative, stayed for two years, sometimes four years, very seldom six years before returning home. Um, and the senators, you know, one or two terms. But now we it's just now it's going to be like people have these seats forever and then turn it over to their sons or their grandsons and they have it forever. It's it's just a, it's just wrong. I mean, well, in the 19th century, I were going to as millionaires when they got out of Congress. I mean, I don't know that no. they knew how to milk the system yet. I, I do think that, um, you know, if we're going to have a convention of states, you know, and we're always close to a convention of states, um, you know, I think the term limits issue would be would be a winner. Um, I think that could probably make it. I, I realize people say, well, term limits just turns over the Congress to the, to the you know, the staffers, the permanent, right. the permanent bureau bureaucracy. There's more power to the bureaucrats, et cetera, and gets rid of people. But I'm like, see. who was representing California uh, when uh, before uh, Feinstein died? Was it Feinstein? I don't think so. Yeah. The permanent bureaucracy. Um, another story I wanted to mention was MIT, which has said they're going to suspend people who kind of kept the people from coming onto the campus, I believe, or going to classes, 
And then they backtracked because he didn't want to mess up their student visas. I think it's pretty obvious what my thoughts are on that. As Ed Powell said earlier, send them home. I think it's pretty bad that MITA threatened it and backed down. I just the the message there is is just unbelievable. You, do you have a God given right to go to MIT if you live somewhere else? Like, what is that? There is also this, uh, you know. I think it's more in the United Kingdom or in Germany of like if you express support for the Palestinians, we're going to deport you. And I I'm like, okay, that's a good first start. If you support anybody but Germany in Germany, we're going to deport you. How start? How let's start there or in the United Kingdom. If you support anyone but the United Kingdom, we're going to deport you. I mean, same thing in the United States. If you're, you know, if you want to support America and Americanism, you you might be able to stay. If not, you're out. Right. As long, I mean, if you're an immigrant, I agree a hundred percent. Even a legal immigrant, if you're not a citizen, if you don't like it here, leave. Now, you guys following what happened? I'm, I'm sad Daniel's not here because I wanted to talk about this lady who was sacked over there, Suella Braverman or something. Mm -hmm. um, apparently, there's been a switch in the English government. Ed, do you guys understand it? I do. I, I do. Put a really uh, feisty letter out. Yeah, the letter was great. But she's... Um, <laughs> The Conservative Party in Britain is even more feckless than the Republican Party in the United States. They, um, it's, a, it's a weird kind of system where the prime minister runs the government, you know, all the cabinet offices, unless the people in the cabinet offices all gang together with enough MPs to throw the prime minister out. So there's always this tension, if you're the prime minister, between trying to rule with an iron fist on the one hand and being afraid that if you do rule with an iron fist, everybody will gang up on you and toss you out and put somebody else in. Well, what ended up happening was Boris Johnson got tossed out. He was the prime minister who was elected in the United Kingdom. Um, uh, the Tories were elected, but he he was the front of the party. And, and uh, his handling of COVID was, was bad. Of course, that was, everybody was bad, but his, um, it was his hypocrisy by having parties and stuff that came out that for some reason in the United Kingdom, they still have the concept of shame. And so he was forced out. And then it was a sort of a lengthy process about who was going to replace him. And they had one person in there for a few weeks or, and then she got kicked out. And, and then they put this guy in, um, named Rishi Sunak. Now, Rishi Sunak has no um, no mandate to govern at all. And in previous times, they would have just called for a general election and gone to the voters and, and said, okay, it's time, it's time for you to decide. Um, they didn't do that primarily because of a couple of reforms that were done under Tony Blair to make the government less English and more American. And all of these reforms are bad, every single one of them, because Tony Blair uh, was is bad. Um, and not just because he's bad, because he's malicious, before, you know, forethought. But um, 
One of them is that this, uh, you know, this unelected prime minister, Rishi Sunak, can stay in power until the next scheduled general election, which is either next year or the year after, something like that, when he has no mandate to govern. And so um, he can, he, the Boris Johnson campaigned on limiting uh, the illegal immigration. And Rishi Sunak, when he was campaigning, you know, to take Boris Johnson's place, said he would definitely um, stop it. And it's just as bad, and proportionally, it's it's worse in the United Kingdom than it is in the United States because, and and the French government is facilitating it because it's allowing the, um, you know, the it's it's dumping these migrants in at Calais, and and then these little boats take them out. And then they're picked up by these NGO boats and taken to uh, uh, the shores of Britain where they're dropped off in dinghies and they row ashore and then they're taken to five-star hotels. It's just ridiculous. And so what Swarov Braverman, who was the the home office, uh, we don't have a home office in the United States because the home office deals with internal security, policing, border security. It's kind of like Homeland Security, except a little bit. It, it includes policing as well. He, um, she wanted to stop and fought against him and yelled at him and whatnot, and he wouldn't give up. And so he finally sacked her. And she wrote this letter saying, you're a, basically a liar and a fraud. And he is a liar and a fraud. There's no question um, that he's a liar and a fraud. Uh, but he's the liar and fraud in charge of the British government until the next election when the Labour Party, who are worse, are going to win a huge majority because there's no one else to vote for. I mean, you know, the Tories are awful and the uh, the Labour Party are a bunch of communists. So it's basically Britain, Party is, Britain trying to commit suicide even faster. Yeah, exactly. And then, they, they you know, I've, I've heard that uh, London is, someone said London is 36% English now. 36% English. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's beyond the pale. Yep. And this is a choice. Countries do not have to turn themselves into dumps, into shitholes. But that's what the West seems to be doing. That's your red pill from San Francisco, Ed. Yeah. Let's, see if, let's see if it's a real red pill. Yeah. Yeah, I'd actually be surprised. All right, what didn't we talk about that you guys wanted to talk about? Well, we didn't talk about what's going on in Spain. We talked about all this foreign stuff. Uh, There's a whole bunch of protests. The socialist uh, prime minister is trying to hold on to power by by pardoning or, or freeing a bunch of secessionists from Catalonia. Oh, but his government would have fallen if he didn't um, partner with the separatist party. And as a condition for their supporting his government and thus not having him fall, he pardoned these uh, separatists. Now, I have no problem with separatists. I I know none of you do either. But um, the the people in Spain... uh, tend to think of these separatists as, as you know, crazy traitors um, akin to uh, the South in, uh, in the American Civil War and are, are protesting this kind of scummy deal 
that he made. And what's interesting is like these protests are, aren't going to go anywhere probably, but um, they're, they're not violent, you know, they're fiery, but peaceful protests, but it's attracted some Americans to the situation or not, not non-Spanish people. Uh, Tucker Eva, is Lord, over there, Lord Dingerbrock is over there. Tucker is over there. I'm sure we'll get uh, some film from Tucker talking to Ray. Tucker was a rock star in the videos that I saw. I mean, he was an absolute rock Which star. Which side is he on? Um, he is on the Spanish side as opposed to the separatist socialist side. And it's, again, it's it's to keep oh, out the Spain the first. Yes, against the prime minister. He, like, every, there are these parties in Europe which are, in, in this case, Spain first parties. Just like there's the alternative for Deutschland, which is the Germany first party. And, um, you know, there, Nigel Farage may organize something in the United Kingdom to be a Britain first party. You know, he did, he led Brexit, but it's going to take a while for that to happen. So there are, so the quote unquote right, there is a populist right in Spain. There is a populist right in Germany, especially Bavaria. Um, there is a populist right uh, that's inchoate in the United Kingdom. And the governments of these countries do everything they possibly can to keep out the populist right parties, including in the case of the Spanish prime minister, the socialist prime minister partnering with separatists. So what ends up happening is the, the Spain first party doesn't get in. And the same thing with Germany, They're, you know, the, the greens and the socialists and the, you know, the CDU, the, Christian Democrats who are supposedly a right party, but are like far to the left of our Democratic Party. Um, they'll all partner together to keep alternative for Deutschland out. And the same thing's happening in Spain because they don't want this populist right party, which goes against everything in the European ideal and the European Union and the bureaucracy and in Brussels and everything. They do everything they can. And what's interesting about the United Kingdom is the reason that it, the England first party or the Britain first party is so inchoate is because all of their energy were put into this uh, referendum for Brexit. That's all the energy was put into that. And then when they won, like it all dissolved. So um, they really need to, to get a more populist party. So it's just, just another way of keeping the Spain first party out. So Ed, um, why should it matter to me as an American? Um, I'm not sure it does matter to us as an American, other than that it's something important going on in the world. I mean, not everything that goes goes on outside of the United States means we have to take a position on it or we have to do something about it. But, you know, when we're talking about, uh, you know, newsworthy items, that was that seems like a newsworthy item to me. Isn't it interesting? Is well, it, it's important. My impression that Spain is like kind of less important to Europe than other countries? Like, why do I have that impression? We thought we'll talk more about France and Germany and even Poland, Ukraine, whatever. But it's like, just like Spain was neutral during the war. It's like, they're not part of anything. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's important just because it shows that there is a populist backlash to migration all throughout, you know, the Western you know, European 
and European diaspora countries. I agree and with it's, that. It's, I think that's right. It, it, that's why it's important. It's it's not important because I particularly care about Spain or want to go to Spain or have any you know Spanish relatives or anything. It's more like it's we're seeing these little sparks of um, populist revolt against the mass migration policies pop up here and there, and it might turn into a tidal wave someday. I, I sort of hope it does. And what is, I mean, is Tucker Carlson, what is he nowadays? What do you mean, what is he? Well, he's not a, a journalist and he's not a host of a show. Is he a... He's always been a commentator is, and he's still is, a commentator. But is he a, an activist? Is he... I think he's still in limbo with his contract situation with Fox. Uh, from what I understand, he is in, in talks to start a media company or has started or whatever. But I think what he used to do was commentary on Fox. That's what he used to do. And he used to do interviews in DC or New York or whatever, but he's moved more now that he's free of that contract to go out. He does still does interviews in his home, but to go out and see things for himself. So he went to Hungary to, um, interview Orban. He went to uh, Brazil. He he went to Argentina, and now he's going to Spain. Like if there's a flashpoint, he'll go there. Now I I I I don't think he would go to Ukraine because I don't think the Ukraine. Oh, he went to Poland. I don't think the Ukrainians would would welcome him with open arms because he's been so um, vocal about that. You know, the United States should should lay off with the, um, the war. Um, he might go to Israel. I know he's a supporter of Israel, but uh, I think he chose to go to Spain because he wanted to see what was, what was going on and talk. Uh, it's I mean, he's a supporter of Israel. Isn't he pretty much an isolationist? He is more of an isolationist, but there's a difference between like um, saying, ah, Israel, pal uh, the, pal you know, the, the Hamas, eh, who cares? There, there's that kind of an isolationist. And there's like, no, Israel's in the right, Hamas is in the wrong, but it's their problem. You know, I, and I think he's in that. He's in that. So I'm just looking at this tweet. I have no idea who this Matthew Bennett is, but it says Tucker Carlson turns up in Madrid with Spanish alt-right leader, blah, 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 because, quote, the world isn't seeing it enough. And that's why we wanted to come, because it's not getting the coverage it deserves. Anybody who would violate your constitution potentially use physical violence to end democracy as a tyrant, is a dictator, end quote. And this guy writes, that's political activism, not journalism. That's that's kind of my comment slash question. Is he, there's a difference between reporting on, um, emphasizing what's going on and actually taking a side in it, especially in another country's business. Yeah, I think he's he's half journalist in the sense that he is journaling, he's he's recording what's happened and he's interviewing people. Um and advocate, which is he's not getting the other side. You know, he's he's not going and talking to 
the other side. He has I mean, a particular I mean, he's there to influence thing events in as much as he is there to cover events. And I think it's wearing two hats that can get kind of, I don't know, kind of dangerous. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, I don't know whether he's in. I don't know whether he's there to influence or not. I mean, he could, if he gets up on this uh, some stage and speaks in Spanish to the Spaniards, saying, you know, go overthrow this government, you know, that's influence. But if he's just there, kind of partying amongst people in the, I don't know. It's hard to say. Adam, I mean, I I don't think there's any problem with a journalist having a point of view. I, I think that as long as they disclose it, that's all that really. That's all I ask of them. I mean, the whole the whole notion that you can be a a journalist without having any point of view strikes me as odd because how would you decide what's important to cover? I mean, you have to have some point of view of, to decide what's important and what's newsworthy. No, but okay, so I agree with you totally about that. But if you're if you're taking a side, is there any issue of involving yourself in another country's business if you're not a government official is that totally okay is that not a great idea i mean i, I, I would never do it. yeah I, I don't think i would do it either but i mean they they don't have a first amendment but the concept of free speech is you have a right to your opinion you have a right to voice your opinion why would why should it matter that he's in spain well, I guess it almost every other country interferes in the United States. Well, that's what I was going to say. What is that law about conducting foreign affairs? The one that Kerry breaks and nobody cares about. Uh, the, yeah, I, I remember that, but that's that law has never been. Well, it's never been enforced. applied to a Democrat. Uh, I think the Hatch Act tried to be a Hatch Act. No, it, yeah. is that the Hatch Act? Um, no, it's not the Hatch Act. That's, the government? That's, that's something that's something else. You're being a diplomat without being a diplomat or something. Like I'm curious if if we like if journalists from other countries come here and really mix in rather than report. I don't know. I'm just asking. Logan Act. The Logan Act. And and remember Logan Act, it's, yeah. it's it's private citizen engaging in foreign policy on behalf of the United States without permission. So there's a difference between like going to Spain and saying, I am a representative of the American government. When you aren't, that's what the Logan Act prohibits rather than I'm just going to Spain and saying, hey, as an American, I think you should vote for this guy instead of that guy. I think that's rude to a certain extent, but um, but that's not a, a violation of the Logan Act. So you actually have to claim you're working for the government? Yeah, it's... Um, I mean, that, that should be, without a law, that should be, because that's just plain up fraud. It criminalizes negotiation by unauthorized American citizens with foreign governments having a dispute with the United States. So it's it's really okay, so engaging it in enemies. negotiation. Has to be with it. So that's yeah. like what Dennis Rodman... Well, every country, every country has a dispute with the United States. So even our friends, you know. Even our biggest friends, England and Australia and whatnot, well, they all have disputes with the United so States. When so Dennis Rodman went to Korea, that's what he was violating. I don't think he yeah, was maybe. a representative of the government, did but he? But it doesn't say you have to be. It says engaging in foreign policy with a government that we're not friendly with or we're enemies of or something. Yeah, I, I, 
I think, honestly, I think Clinton gave him permission when he did that, to be honest. I, I believe he got permission from the United States to do that. Okay, but if not, that would that would be it because it wasn't Clinton, wasn't it? I mean, I wouldn't choose when when did he go to <laughs> No. No, it was it was back in the day. Uh, my, it might have been Clinton, it might have been uh He's still playing basketball when Clinton was president. Yeah. Okay, this we can look we it have up. To follow but, um, so I there's lots of gun news this week. Um just before we close, we're not gonna get into it, but there's a new documentary out on Timcast.com called Infringe. Uh, if you're a member of Timcast.com, you can uh, get infringed. And I worked on this documentary and I'm very proud of it. So I hope everyone uh goes to Timcast.com and watches. Oh, this is the one about the guns that you were involved in? Yes, it was. Absolutely. Okay, so what's the what's the URL on Timcast.com? It's when I hit when I go right on the front page, start that start making noise, but it is behind a paywall. So mine says when I go says Halo Infinite. Um, let's see, because I want to put it up. That's why I'm asking. Ah, Timcast.com. Yeah, you're right. It was on it. It was on the front page, and now they've got something else stupid on the front page. But you got to go down to documentaries on the left-hand side and then infringe gun rights in America. Documentaries. There we go. So I will put a link to it and ask Alu to put a link to it on Liberty Block. And It uh, is a winner. If I do say so myself. What's that? Is your name in the credits? Uh, Yeah, the credits are wrong. They screwed me on the credits. But I mean, my name is in the credits, but not, uh, uh, you know, not for the job that I actually did, but... Um, okay. it's still a good documentary, even though the credits are wrong. Okay. And it's pro two way. You'll, it is definitely pro gun. You'll see. Okay. Which does talk about the thing we're not going to get into, but the Supreme court rulings about, um, ATF's 80% firearm rule and these rulings about bump stocks, et cetera, et cetera. But so actually I will try. I think we should carry those over until next week. Yeah. Okay. With that, we're going to wrap up for this evening. Is that good, Ed? You good? Yep. Okay. And real quick, are we going to be back next week the exact same time, even though it's Thanksgiving Eve? Works for me. Until further notice, we'll be back at regular time. And if for whatever reason not, we wish everybody up front a happy Thanksgiving and have a wonderful evening.